This is Think of the Straight Children by Kristen Hagelin from the fall 2022 issue Satanic Panic provided by Outright News Magazine and narrated by Min Kim. In 1977, Orange Juice spokeswoman Anita Bryant campaigned against a new anti-discrimination law protecting gay men and lesbians in Dade County, Florida. She had it overturned and riding on the wave of the success started Save Our Children, the United States' first national anti-gay group. More than 40 years later, in 2022, Alabama has passed legislation banning gender-affirming health care for minors under the name of the Alabama Vulnerable Child Compassion and Protection Act, or SB 184. Florida quickly followed in their footsteps with their Board of Medicine voting to do the same in November of 2022. Coupled with this extreme aggression towards trans youth, Florida has also banned discussions around sexual orientation and gender identity in schools with the Parental Rights and Education Act also coined the Don't Say Gay law or the anti-grooming bill in the charged words of Christina Pouchaw, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' press secretary. Within the past month, Representative Mike Johnson has proposed the Stop the Sexualization of Children Act, a measure that has the potential to extend Florida's education ban to the entire country. Are we starting to notice a trend in the names of anti-trans and anti-gay legislation? Why do the words children, grooming, and sexualization keep coming up? What we can gather from this charged language is that conservative lawmakers are attempting to weaponize the protection of children. By depicting LGBTQ educators and issues as inherently sexual, the Christian political right has justified the presence of homophobia and transphobia in America's legal system in both the present and past. To fully understand how this warped conception of the LGBTQ community formed in the first place, it is important to look at the moral hysteria of the satanic panic and how the movement found its scapegoat. In the lead up to the 1980s moral panic, the progressivism of the 60s and 70s was still in full swing. Yet, with this newfound change came a conservative backlash, manifesting fully in the satanic panic. Born out of a fear for the degradation of America's moral values, this social hysteria centered around hundreds of accusations that devil-worshipping pedophiles were operating America's white middle-class suburban daycare centers. It might seem like this conspiracy came completely out of the blue, but the ideology actually came out of a culmination of many predictable factors. Fears around the growing visibility of LGBTQ relationships, long-held puritanical anxieties around Satanism, and a greater awareness around child sexual abuse created the perfect storm for America's new scapegoat. The perfect pedophile, or monster, was the LGBTQ teacher. Bernard Barron, an 18-year-old gay daycare worker, was one of the first victims of the Satanic Panic. Accused of mass molestation of preschoolers by his students' parents, hearsay and homophobia plagued his trial from the start. Prosecutors brought forth heavily edited videotape interviews, cutting out large portions of footage where the parents coerced their children into providing specific answers. As a form of medical argument, Prosecutor Daniel Ford brought forward an expert witness to testify to the prevalence of gonorrhea among homosexuals. Despite the fact that Barron tested negative for gonorrhea and the aforementioned faulty evidence, he spent 21 years in prison before his convictions were overturned. Then there was the case of Margaret Kelly Michaels. In the article How the Gay Establishment Ignored a Sex Panic Fueled by Homophobia, Jim Tremont writes about how outside prejudices impacted her trial, stating prosecutors devoted two days to exploiting a same-sex relationship in her personal history implying that lesbianism had impelled her to force toddlers of both sexes to lick peanut butter off her cervix at the We Care Nursery School in Maplewood, New Jersey. Among countless other allegations and trials throughout the next decade, the case of the San Antonio Four served as a momentary bookend to the satanic panic's reign of terror. Occurring in 1994, with its trials running from 1997 to 1998, the case involved four openly gay women. Elizabeth Ramirez, Cassandra Rivera, 
Christy Mayhew, and Anna Vasquez, who were accused of sexually assaulting Ramirez's two nieces while the pair were under their care for a week in San Antonio, Texas. As with the previous cases, there was little solid evidence to support this accusation. Testimonies from the nieces shifted with each new line of questioning, and medical evidence was equally sparse, based on now-defunct forensic science on the supposed correct shape of a child's hymen. Worst of all was that the accusations themselves stemmed from a malicious source. The mastermind behind these confessions was Javier Limon, Ramirez's former brother-in-law. During her trial, Ramirez displayed love letters that Limon had written to her and explained that she had rejected his advances on multiple occasions. Despite Limon's clear motive for coercing confessions from his children, the court did not press him on the matter. These many injustices against LGBTQ educators and child care providers illustrate that historically, the American public has often equated queerness with pedophilia, allowing homophobia to thrive throughout carceral justice. When societal norms view queerness as more deviant and offensive than heterosexuality, queerness takes on a dangerous proximity to pedophilia. Both are taboo while they have absolutely nothing in common. Under these harmful prescriptions about sexual orientation and gender identity, it's no wonder that these save-the-children-adjacent laws continue to proliferate. In Johnson's Stop the Sexualization of Children Act, the very title implies that an understanding of LGBTQ relationships and gender is something that sexualizes children or corrupts. This message is only echoed by the actual body of the act, which lumps together sexuality, sexual orientation, transgenderism, and gender ideology alongside pornography and sexual acts in its list of off-limits material. Although not likely to pass, this act is only a harbinger of the hysteria to come. Ultimately, the language of these laws and the victims of the satanic panic beg the question, which children are we willing to save? Criminalizing gender-affirming healthcare and removing LGBTQ issues from public school curriculum endanger transgender and non-binary youth who are already at a disproportionate risk of depressive symptoms and suicide. According to the Trevor Project's 2021 National Survey on LGBTQ Youth Mental Health, more than half, 52%, of transgender and non-binary youth seriously considered suicide in the past year, and one in five reported attempting suicide. In contrast, transgender and non-binary youth in supportive environments reported lower rates of attempting suicide. These laws seem much less preoccupied with preventing sexual abuse than stamping out LGBTQ youth before they even reach adulthood. By removing protections for trans kids while proclaiming their goal of saving vulnerable children, conservative lawmakers show that they fundamentally do not recognize trans children as children, either assuming that they are confused cis children or already sexualized by their queerness and therefore beyond saving. Overall, America's anti-gay legislation from the past and present aims to protect hypothetical children from mythical monsters. It reminds the LGBTQ community that, regardless of our age or innocence, we are not worthy of our government's protection.